This conference will now be recorded. Updated guidance from OFAC. Uh, updated guidance from OFAC. Wei Chun visits Compliance Week. Tom Fox and Jay Rosen have all the stories for this week. Nah, that yep. ain't it. No, okay. you got This conference will now be recorded. This week, Mike Volkoff does a four-part series on the new OFAC guidance. Wei Chun and Pam Davis weigh in on the 2019 Department of Justice new FCPA guidelines. A new Titans around Credit Suisse and Prime Vest in Mozambique. What are the compliance lessons from a messy and public food fight? Matt Kelly tells us. How does scapegoating come into play? Laurent Cohen Tanugi talks about this on NYU's Compliance Ethics blog. I continue my exploration of using a monitor. Barry V2 gives us five common facts to look at on a fire alarm. Equifax is about to settle its data breach. Why should compliance training start with a smile? Ronnie Feldman lets us know, and Tom Fox takes a look at uh, with a new white paper about lessons for hospitality around major sporting events. All this week on This Week in FCPA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to this episode, 155 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending May 24th, 2019 the Memorial Day edition. Uh, Jay, we've got a full set of stories this week and a holiday weekend we're both looking forward to, so why don't we just hit it? Let's jump right in, Tom. So uh, Mike Volkoff put together just, uh, I think, a fabulous series, Jay, on the new OFAC compliance structure. Uh, it's a four-part series. We've linked to the four parts. Uh, he um, talks about it in a podcast. The framework structure is management commitment, risk assessment, internal controls, testing and audit and training. Uh, obviously, it draws from the Department of Justice's uh, thoughts on a best practices compliance program, but it adds some OFAC-specific com components and uh, requirements. So I would urge everyone to take a look at it. It, it really uh, doesn't matter what compliance you're in, anti-bribery, anti-corruption, AML, money laundering, trade compliance, uh, export control, import. Uh, it's a it's a great way to think about your compliance program. So, Jay, I would really urge everyone uh, to take a look at it. And once again, if you're interested in the uh, audio format, Mike, uh, as always, does a great podcast on it. So uh, next up, uh, this story comes to us from Compliance Week. Um, Wei Chen was just in D.C., where Tom was for this past week's Compliance Week, and along with her co new colleague, Pam Davis, who just left Oric in San Francisco, they weigh in on the 2019 Department of Justice new FCPA guidance. And uh, Tom, I'd be interested to get your takes, but there, there are many blogs and articles out there looking at the guidance as a roadmap for best practices for companies to follow. And Wei Chen has taken a contrarian position saying that it really has a very limited value as a best practice guide, and its purpose is to help prosecutors determine the appropriate form of any resolution or prosecution, monetary penalties, and compliance obligations. So, uh, Tom, you heard Wei Chen speak in D.C. What were your takeaways? Well, Jay, she really did not talk about the new guidance in her speech. Uh, actually, she didn't talk about it at all. 
she did, however, do a, I believe last week, which you had the opportunity to listen to, a podcast with Carrie Penman from Navex Global on this, where she expressed uh, those thoughts. Uh, she has fleshed them out a little bit more, she and Pam Davis, in an article in Bloomberg. And she really takes the, uh, I think, prosecutorial position that these are uh, minimum best practices of a company that is in a uh, FCPA investigation. And this is the minimum you can do to obtain the full benefits under the uh, FCPA corporate enforcement program. I guess from my perspective, Jay, I, I see them as more beneficial than that. And certainly you can uh, always exceed the government expectations uh, by doing so, not only and you at the end of the day more profitable. So um, kind of an interesting take, certainly when Wei Chin speaks, you need to listen. And uh, it is uh, something that um, everyone should should read and, uh, and take a consideration of. So uh, next up, Tom, the news titans are on Credit Suisse and Primavest and Mozambique. What's the story there? So this is, Jay, a, a, just a burgeoning corruption story. Uh, lots of different compliance angles, regime change, uh, certainly bribery and corruption, uh, how uh, the invidiousness of bribery and corruption and how even countries that are res resource rich can be extraordinarily damaged by this, um, by bribery and corruption. Uh, this started out as the tuna boat case where uh, Mozambique floated certain bonds to uh, purchase tuna boats for their uh, Charlie the Tuna fleet. Uh, I'm sure uh, the girls probably eat a lot of tuna fish and uh, hopefully Charlie's not in there. But, uh, you know, there's a worldwide market for tuna fish and Mozambique wanted to capture some of that. The problem was the money didn't go to the tuna boat fleet. It went to the pockets of corrupt government officials. And. Uh, they uh, were facilitated by the Swiss banking giant Credit Suisse. Now we have a Credit Suisse uh, banker who was indicted uh, plead guilty. And that uh, plea of guilt uh, probably will, uh, a woman named Detlina Sabeva, and she, if she cooperates and names names, uh, it could portend uh, greater difficulties, uh, legal difficulties for not only Credit Suisse, but Prevenist, which is another company involved in this. And certainly the uh, players in the former Mozambique government who uh, dipped themselves into this fund to take literally hundreds of millions of dollars out. It's a $2.2 billion loan for projects and uh, could, uh, could be a very uh, difficult situation for all involved going forward. Uh, so next up, we have a story coming to me or coming to us from the place that I hail from, from uh, the state of New Hampshire, from Canaan, New Hampshire. And we get this reporting uh, through Matt Kelly and Radical Compliance from the Manchester Union Leader, the most conservative paper in the United States. Uh, it seems that Bonnie Kimball, a cafeteria worker at Mascoma Regional High School in Canaan, New Hampshire, lost her job when she allowed a student to take several food items from the school's a la carte menu, even though he didn't have enough money in his account to pay for him. 
or to pay for them. The fundamental issue here is one of policy management where conflicting objectives with a helping of a third-party governance on the side. So what should Muscoma Regional District have done, or more broadly, what should organizations to, to, do to avoid such a fiasco? First, you can let employees seek exceptions to public policy quickly and easily. Second, you can train your employees thoroughly on the organization's priorities and trusts. And third, you can make sure your third parties align their operations. So how did this all end? Don't die of shock, but once Kimball's plight became news, the Muscoma Regional School District declared that if cafe services didn't rehire Kimball after she was fired and give her back pay, the district would proceed with a new $500,000 co contract. Now, it turns out there is a little bit more to the story, which Matt dug out. And according to articles from the union leader, Kimball had been providing free food to the student for months and lying about it. She also sent the student several Facebook messages. So first, as much as we hate to blame the victim, Cafe Services did itself no favors with its four-sentence termination letter. The letter, as we can all see in the photo in the article, said that Kim Kimball had committed only one infraction of not charging of charging a student. So it's ultimately comes down to poor documentation of a troublesome employee's behavior, but it set off this uh, Twitter storm, and uh, Matt touches on it in the links that we include to the article. So next up, Jay, a very interesting article in New York University's Compliance and Enforcement blog on scapegoating. And um, the at first I thought the author was going to talk about how the U.S. government was targeting foreign companies for F, uh, selective FCPA enforcement, but it's uh, that was not the focus of her article at all. She was more concerned with companies that would target mid-level uh, executives to protect higher executives. And furthermore, she said that um, it's almost a contra, uh, not a contra argument, but a contradiction. Uh, nevertheless, I thought it was an interesting hypothetical that if a, a person in, in Europe turns whistleblower, that may be a tacit admission of guilt. And in Europe, where there are uh, considerably less protections for whistleblowers, a person who actually blows the whistle may become the subject of an investigation and turned over by uh, their company to uh, the authorities. Um, I have to say, I find that uh, not, uh, I'm not quite sure what the right word is, except perhaps incorrect. Nevertheless, it's an interesting point raised and something that I think uh, needs to be followed. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but like I said, an interesting point for consideration. Yeah, it also echoes to me a little bit the uh, story we had last week about a judge admonishing the SEC for waiting so long to bring uh, charges against VW. And part of that wrist slap was the fact that quite often it appears that the DOJ is outsourcing investigations to companies. So it, so I can see where Loren uh, gets the idea, but you're right, it's, it's definitely counter to what's currently out there right now. 
Um, this week, I continue with my uh, series on corporate compliance insights, uh, exploring the using a monitor, use of monitors. And basically, I talk about the selection of appropriate monitors and how it can really make or break the entire program and the relationship. And uh, basically, uh, if you link to the article, I take a look at what are you looking for for the uh, skill set that a monitor should have. They should have expertise, not necessarily in specifically uh, one vertical of law, but they should have an expertise in how you structure and run a monitorship. They need to very carefully balance the uh, interest of both the company that is having the monitor and the government regulator. Uh, you need to look for a monitor that's going to bring value to the company. And at the end of the day, any company that's faced with the uh, need to select a monitor should run a thoughtful and diligent process. And by using this type of deliberation, the company will make sure to not only its, uh, understand its goals in the monitor process, but to find value with uh, hiring an appropriate monitor. So again, this is part four in an ongoing series on corporate compliance insight. Tom, we haven't heard from our friends on the other side of the pond in a while. What does Barry V2 and the Bribery Act guys have to say? So always good uh, to see them post. Uh, certainly the unique uh, British perspective on things is always interesting. And Barry and Richard put up a post entitled Dawn Rain Searches, Media Inquiries, and our top five tips to what they have in common with fires. Uh, so uh, his five tips are for Dawn raids and searches, keep calm and be courteous uh, to uh, the attending officials, ask to see a copy of the search warrant. If there's no warrant, ask them to explain the legal basis for the search. Uh, three, identify and keep items separate that are protected by privilege. Uh, four, uh, contact external lawyers. And uh, when you have that representation secured, inform the officials. And five, of course, do not obstruct the search. Media inquiries, one, listen to what they say and note it. Two, do not comment. Ask if you can get back to them. Three, contact a PR specialist within your firm or outside advisor. Uh, four, agree a, a reactive statement with your advisors and contact the outlet who first contacted you. And five, consider the appropriate next steps. Uh, always good to know, or rather good to review. And I don't think that people really train enough, Jay, on point one, which is dawn raids. I think people are more attuned here in the United States to media inquiries, but you need to be ready uh, if you do have a dawn raid. And I love that the number one point in such a very British way is keep calm. That's uh, always good advice to follow. Um, next up, we're taking a look uh, at an article by John Rush on dipping through geometries. And uh, on May 10th of this year, Equinac Equifax, excuse me, announced its financial results for the quarter ending March 31st. In that announcement, the company reported that during the quarter, it took a 690 million pre-tax legal accrual relating to the 2017 data breach that resulted in the exposure of the personal data, data of 148 million U.S. individuals, or 56% of all Americans. Equifax explained that the 690 million reflects its estimated losses that they expect to incur with a potential global resolution of the consumer class. The 690 million, according to bank information security, represents 
only a substantial portion of the 1.35 billion with a B in costs that Equifax reported. And what John looks at is that chief information security officers and chief compliance officers should really draw on this information and in reminding senior executives in the companies and agencies about substantial compliance, reputational and other risks. The continuing spate of reports about breaches that have resulted in losses of billions of personal records and cyber thefts that have cost billions of dollars in loss, however, indicates that too many firms and agencies have not taken that lesson to heart. So Jay, um, I think uh, as with many of our colleagues, when Ronnie Feldman speaks, uh, not only you should listen, but you're probably gonna laugh. And uh, Ronnie uh, focuses on compliance training, but from a humorous perspective, he's a Second City veteran, and he has a company called Learnings and Entertainment, uh, where he puts uh, together compliance training and really helps people uh, see the uh, the humor in it and hopefully make the training more memorable. He's got an article in uh, Corporate Compliance Insights on uh, the compliance practitioner's greatest challenge of their role versus their reputation. And as always, his article is uh, very humorous, but it has a larger point. So uh, we link to it in the show notes. It's something that um, uh, if you don't know Ronnie, you should definitely check out his website. Uh, I, I, I suppose I can give this um, spoiler alert. He's going to be premiering a new podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network in the next uh one or two months. So I'm looking forward to having uh, Ronnie sharing his wisdom uh, on the podcast format with me. And um, always good stuff from Ronnie. Your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts is uh, I, I love the guy. I'm going to be on a panel with him later on this year in September. And uh, one of the things, one of the challenges that we all have is trying to keep training fresh, new, and resident. And uh, Ronnie definitely has uh, an inside track on figuring that out. Uh, last up, our third story from Corporate Compliance Insights is really a new white paper that Tom has put together. And uh, Tom, what does it uh, deal with and why might people want to have a look? So Jay, we uh, we recently had a uh, FCPA enforcement action with Telefona tele um, Brazil around their hospitality program for the 2014 World Cup match in matches in Brazil. And they got in trouble because uh, for two reasons. One, uh, either they didn't have a policy or one, they didn't have a policy. And then two, what little they had, they they really didn't follow. But it caused me to, to think about a question I get from time to time, which is uh, taking uh, customers to very high level sporting events here in the United States. Of course, that could be the Super Bowl, it could be the Masters, could be the US Golf Open, it could be the World Series, it could be uh, NBA championships, which will be coming up soon. Um, and you just need to think through how you can do it. I paired the Telefonica FCPA enforcement action with a prior enforcement action of BHP Billiton, where a Billiton got in trouble around their 2008 Beijing Olympics hospitality program. Their Billiton did have a robust compliance program and a, a robust risk management program. Uh, the problem was that they uh, either didn't follow it, uh, they cut and pasted into it, and they didn't put appropriate oversight that they had specified within their compliance program 
to use in it. So uh, I put those two together to really try to lay out a roadmap for the compliance practitioner to think about how can you do this? Uh, I, I think you can take customers to the Super Bowl, um, even if they're government officials. If recognizing it is high risk, but if you put a high risk management protocol around it and uh, follow the steps and then have an appropriate level of management oversight, I, be I believe it can be accomplished. So uh, I was uh, really interested in in this area, this issue, and thought it was an appropriate um, topic for a white paper. And Sarah had unfortunately agreed and, and published it on Corporate Compliance Insights. I hope people will check it out. If they have any questions on how to do hospitality at major sporting events, uh, please feel free to give me a shout. So next up, Tom, you had uh, one of your five pod pod podcast series. Uh, it was sponsored by Ascent Compliance, and the issue at hand was maintaining market access. Can you give us a little bit more in insight into the five parts? Sure, Jay. Uh, Ascent Compliance is uh, focuses on supply chain compliance, so a little bit different than uh, the anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance that you and I typically focus on. But that difference, I think, makes it much more interesting for the compliance practitioner. And this podcast series was on maintaining market access, which is, a, I don't think, a topic that uh, our people, if I can use that phrase, really think about a lot. But people in the supply chain think about it quite a bit. So we took a look at, we introduced it, we looked at the current uh, challenges around trade compliance, uh, uh, Jared Connors, my former uh, colleague at another company, talked about continuous monitoring in the su supply chain. We took a, a dive into uh, perhaps one of the areas that uh, um, your folks at AMI might have some insight into, uh, which is the federal acquisition regulations and flowdowns. And really there we talked about how the government is pushing down uh, compliance through the supply chain of its primary suppliers. And we ended up with chemical and product compliance. So it's a really interesting way to think through how a compliance program directly not impacts a business, but allows you to keep doing business. So I thought it was an important series. It was certainly uh, interesting for me and for any ABC or anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance practitioner. I think you'll get a lot of good ideas uh, out of it uh, from the folks at Ascent Compliance. Good stuff, Tom. Um, next up, on your travels, you're going to be coming to Beantown in June, and what what brings you out to Boston? So the Compliance Evangelist will be in Boston. So Boston, can't wait. Uh, the week of June 10 through uh, June 14, I've got actually three events. Two are listed uh, on uh, this week's show notes, uh, courtesy of uh, your, you and affiliated monitors, you're hosting me for a compliance masterclass, two-day session on June 11 and 12. And then uh, AMI, you, once again, and your colleagues are putting on a roundtable on um, Thursday. Uh, hopefully that's Thursday the 13th. Uh, yep. Yes, Thursday the 13th. And we're going to take a look at the uh, new FCPA guidance in a roundtable format. I'm also going to do an event at Compliance Week which will be on Monday the 10th. I'll have uh, information on that later. But uh, information and registration is in the show notes. I hope uh, if you're in Boston or anywhere in New England that you can attend uh, one of these uh, events going forward, Jay. Sounds perfect. And um, I think in, before we got on the air, you said something about um, Astros and Red Sox this weekend. What's that all about? Yes. So uh, after the uh, near sweep, 
of uh, Boston by Houston in Boston last weekend. The Red Sox are coming down uh, to play a series of three games at uh, Minute Maid Park. Uh, my wife and I are going to one, so we're going to get to see uh, the Sox and the Astros, uh, the best team in baseball with a team that uh, I think is around 500. So it's going to be an interesting uh, weekend and hopefully uh, yet another sweep or almost sweep. Yeah, so we'll, we'll 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 see what happens next week. I'm uh, I'm still happy that we're hovering around 500. And as you know, Tom, it's a long season, but your Astros, I believe you uh, shared with me, do have the best record in uh, baseball. So we need to give them props for that. Uh, as we are at the end of May, um, it is Memorial Day, and our thoughts uh, turn to all the people who help us in this country and fight for our liberty and our freedom. So uh, we'd like you to turn your thoughts there this way, uh, besides watching baseball and barbecuing. But those are my thoughts for the weekend. Uh, anything on yours, Tom? No, Jay, I just would echo that uh, Memorial Day celebrates those who made the uh, ultimate sacrifice on behalf of our country. And uh, just you know, take a minute on Monday to either think about that or silently thank the people uh, who have done so. There's a lot of people uh, and a lot of generations before Jay and I who uh, have uh, who did that. There are people in Jay and I's generation. There's people in uh, generations after Jay and I who have sacrificed, made the ultimate sacrifice for this country and the freedoms we enjoy the, right up till this day and hopefully in a long time into the future are in large part because of the sacrifices that <clears throat> people in our military made, people in our first responders made, make and made, and uh, anyone who gave their lives in the service of uh, our country, the state you live in, or your local municipality, I'd just like to ask you to think about them on Monday. That's a perfect way to go out, Tom. Um, on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA, episode 155 for the week ending May 24th, 2019, the Memorial Day edition. Have a great weekend and be safe. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>